take your Bibles and find Ephesians chapter 4, would you please? And let's locate it together. I'll make a few comments and then we'll stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm so glad to be in Michigan and I'm glad to be at Trinity Baptist. God bless you folks for inviting us again and uh, just uh, so thankful for you. I've been praying for you. I love your pastor and I pray for him often. I try to pray for pastor every day. And I do that because I came a few years ago and met you all, and I knew he needed it. And so I pray for him every day, and I'm so, so thankful for him and just the friend he is. And I'm glad all of you are here. How many of you are here today? Let me see your hand if you're here. All right, looks like most of you. I have friends in the building, uh, Pastor Brudnick and his family from Springfield, Missouri. And uh, he grew up in Michigan, and he's on vacation, and he came to church today. Glad to have him and his family here and he actually came to meet my wife because I was with him a few years ago, a few months ago, and my wife was not able to go to that meeting. And so he came here to see if I was married. And uh, my wife's not here then either. But uh, she uh, is home in Florida with our five. In fact, I, I wanted you to meet my family, so I put them on the screen for you uh, just to give you a little idea of my home. And there we are. There's uh, my sweetheart and I. I told you in Sunday school, that's my girlfriend. And we've been married almost 24 years, and we're happily married. I want to have the world's longest honeymoon. And don't you think that'd be good? Wouldn't that be good? If you're going to be married, you might as well enjoy it. Come on, that's a good place for an amen. It's a family conference. So there's my sweetheart. And then Abby and Josh are on each end. Those are my college kids. Matthew's the tall one. And there's Jacob. He's standing next to Daddy. He's now taller than I am, too. So that picture is about a year and a half old. And there's Charity. She's my fourth grader. She said to her mom the other day, she said, uh, you know, I feel sorry for people that don't have imaginary friends. And my wife said, what was that? She said, I feel sorry for people that don't have imaginary friends. I have no idea where that came from. And uh, she said, I don't know who they talk to when they play by themselves. So she's a little on the unique side. So I, I love charity there. Matthew, he's, he's on the unique side too. That's my tall one. He's the one that always keeps us laughing. He's always, always trying to keep us on our toes. He uh, took a, the kids after church last summer. We went out to eat. Got a pizza actually. And we're going to go home and get comfortable and, and uh, sit down and watch something. And so we, we went by the pizza place, grabbed the pizza. I handed it back. It's all the kids and the family in the van that gave it back. Hold it, boys. And it's only three miles to the house. And we almost was home when I realized that Matthew and his brothers were eating the pizza. And I, it wasn't really a problem. I mean, we had enough. But I said, what is wrong with you guys? And Matthew said, probably poor parenting. <laughs> and so that's, that's my family. And I thought, well, it's hard to argue with that one because he's probably got a point there. But to my goodness, I'm glad to be with you to invest in your home. That's why I've come this week to, to invest in you. I, I'm convinced that these family revivals we do, family conferences, are one of the great needs of revival in our generation. And we desperately need the Lord to help us in the home, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to direct us, to change us. And I'm aware, I'm aware that in a crowd this size, Goodness, how many different situations would we have? Some of you have a blended family, divorce situation, and you got stepmom, dad, stepsons, daughters. God has an answer for your situations. You know that, don't you? Some of you have been through a divorce and, and your heart's hurting, and it will for a long time. God has an answer for you. And so this is not to beat anybody up. I'm not here to make any negative situation related to a marriage, a family, grandsons, granddaughters. I'm not here to make any negative situation hurtful. But I'm here to tell you that you have a loving God who cares about your situation. And he really wants you just to take steps. My, uh, my brother, my brother's been through a rather tough divorce in recent months. His wife left him for another man and this story is just a situation. I told him the other day, I said to my brother, I said, you know, really every situation like this is a crossroads. I can either become bitter, cynical, angry, upset, and continue going downhill. 
Or I can take this situation in my life, whatever it is in your home or family. And I said this to my brother, you take this situation in your life and you know what? You could grow spiritually in ways perhaps greater than you ever have. And let the Lord heal you and, and advance you. That's God's plan for you. Some of us are doing well, aren't we? Some of you are doing great. You're happy. Your marriage couldn't be better, maybe. Your kids are well. But I want you to know that God has a plan for you in this meeting. Maybe just to strengthen you. Just strength. Just to let you know you're on the right track. And, and chances are, even if all is well and you come every night, there will be something. The Spirit of God will put His finger on it and say, Now, how about that in your life? And you'll grow and your home will even be better. Some of you need some correction this week. Honesty, some things aren't right. Maybe it's bitterness or your temper or your tongue or, or, or any number of issues, but God and you know it needs to be corrected. The Spirit of God's going to put His finger on it in your life. Don't be bothered when that happens. That's an indication that the Spirit of God is working on you because you are loved by Almighty God and He wants to grow you and improve you and direct you. Isn't that good news? And some of you just need some real direction. You don't, you gotta, I don't know what to do about this situation. I just don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to do about this situation with my son or my granddaughter or this problem in my marriage. I don't know what to do. And I'm just telling you, there is a God in heaven who knows what to do. And so let the Lord work in your heart. Uh, here's what I want to do before I read the text. I want to have prayer because I need the Lord's help. And I want you to pray with me. We often say prayers publicly and people listen. Uh, how many of you already know that you're going to heaven? Is that most of you? Is that a lot of you? Raise your hand if you know for sure. So you believe in prayer? Will you pray as I pray? How many of you have a burden in your heart today as you're sitting in church? That really is a heavy burden in your heart. You'd love to see God do something about that burden. Anybody here like that? Got a burden? Anybody have a physical need? Just really see like God to touch a physical need. Anybody like that this morning? How many of you have a situation in your marriage or your family, your children, your grandchildren... That really weighs heavily on you. And you really would love to see God really do something special about that situation. Anybody here like that today? Well, let's start in prayer. You believe God's a great God? You believe God answers prayer? Now, I'm going to kneel. You don't have to kneel. But I'm just going to kneel and pray. And I want you to join me. I want you to pray. If you want to kneel, you can. If you want to pray with your spouse, you can. If you want to turn to the person beside you and share the need and ask them to pray with you. If you can't pray in church, where can you pray? So take a few moments and I'm just going to kneel here and pray and you pray with me. Bow your head, would you? And let's just seek the Lord. Turn your hearts to the Lord. Father, your word teaches us that you're the God that hears prayer. And I marvel at that. And there are needs all over this room this morning. And Lord... I saw hands, but you know hearts and situations. And Lord, I pray this morning that you'll pour out your spirit and help us. God, I, I know there's families here hurting and they need you. And there's families here on the right track who just need strengthening. And some don't know what to do and they need direction. You got to help us in every situation. Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Give me wisdom and gentleness as I preach and tenderness. Help me to be as bold as I ought to be and as firm as I ought to be, but help me to do it in love and, and with great grace in the way I preach and speak. Almighty God, how I pray that you'll grow Trinity Baptist Church as a result of our time together. I pray, O oh God, that you'll bless. Micah, Brother Micah, Lord, is preaching to our boys and girls, and I pray for that service. Help that not just to be another thing we do on a Sunday morning, but really pour out your spirit on those boys and girls. Help Micah to preach with mighty power. May children be saved. May they dedicate their lives to you this week. May they make life-changing steps and, and decisions this week that just will be amazing in the years to come. Make it this kind of week. And Lord, several people in this room mentioned by an upraised hand of physical need. Almighty God, you are Jehovah, our healer, the Lord, our healer, and, and heal today. Give healing touch. And in those situations where it's not your will, will to do an immediate healing, I pray, God, you'll give grace. May this be a mighty service. Somebody 
This building, O Lord, needs to be saved. They don't know you. Oh God, they need to know you and be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. And I pray you'll save them today and I thank you for doing it. Jesus, we love you and we're thankful for what you did for us. And Almighty God, I pray these things this day in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, if you have Ephesians 4, put your finger on verse 1 and let's review. You that were in Sunday school, let's review. I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now stop right there and let's review. How many of you were in Sunday school, were you? A lot of you. So if you were in the 10 o'clock or 9.30 hour rather, if you were in the 9.30 hour, here's what we learned. God has called us to be the Christian we ought to be. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's a process. Nobody arrives overnight. Wouldn't it be great if you got saved and the moment you got saved, boom, you're everything you ought to be as a Christian. Wouldn't that be great? But how many of you know by experience, that just ain't so. How many of y'all know that by experience? True, isn't it? Man, I call it residue. That's what I call it. I call it residue. I'll come back to that in just a moment. She says we're to, we're to grow in the Lord. We're to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. We're to advance. We're to move forward. But God not only called you to be a great Christian church, he has called you to have a Christian family, a Christian home. He's called you to that. Uh, Daddy, God wants you to be a great dad so that your children will know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord and live for God all the days of their life. That's God's plan. And God wants you to do so well that your grandchildren do well. That they know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord. You see those, those five kids of mine. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if all five of them married a wonderful Christian person, had a great Christian family? Wouldn't that be great? I'd be thrilled. I just would. There's things I'd like to have. I wouldn't mind at all having a Corvette. Don't you think I'd look good in a Corvette? Come on. Red, black leather, convertible top. I wouldn't mind it at all. Somebody said to me one day, what would you do with those kids? I said, who cares? (laughs) Now, chances are I'll never have a Corvette. Chances are I'll never have one. I don't know if I'd buy one if I could afford it. And I, I'd struggle with that. You know, I just, it's not wrong. I, I wouldn't mind. Somebody gave me one, I'd drive it for a while and probably get convicted and sell it. I don't know. Or maybe I'd just keep it and love it. I, I don't know what I'd do. If you're thinking about it, God bless you. Uh, but you know, honestly, I, I wouldn't mind having a Corvette. I, I wouldn't mind. I stayed uh, last weekend in Greenville, Tennessee. I preached a family conference. And I stayed at a ministry called Elijah's Harbor. And uh, it's, it's really a place to encourage pastors and evangelists. And since I was in the area, they let me stay in one of their houses. Uh, the mansion, they call it the Jackson Mansion, is the main house at Elijah's Harbor. And the man that built it is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. It's a beautiful home, four stories, a two-level pool, had a TV room, had a theater room, uh, it's just a massive home, absolutely massive, beautiful place. On a mountain, looking out the windows, you see the mountains, the Smokies surrounding the Blue Ridge Mountains off in one distance. Absolutely gorgeous home. I'll never have a home like that. I, just no way. But you know what? If God let those five children have a wonderful marriage, a Christian marriage, and, and have a Christian home, that would be more valuable to me than a Jackson Mansion. I, I, there's nothing wrong with having a nice Corvette. God bless you if you have one. Pray about loaning it to me this week. Uh, I wouldn't be bothered by that at all. But I'd rather those five children have godly marriages than God allow me to have a Corvette. One's more valuable than the other. You follow what I'm saying? And so God wants me to walk worthy so that I can have a successful home and family and marriage. Wouldn't it be great if all five of them had five children of their own? I'd have 25 grandchildren. Wouldn't that be exciting? It'd be loud too, wouldn't it? Or what if all five of them had five kids and all of their five kids loved the Lord and served the Lord and grew up and they had five children? It'd be 125 great-grandchildren. Just in four generations. Mine, them, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Four generations would be bigger than some churches this morning. In my family alone. 
Do you know that God's plan is that in every generation we succeed in the home in such a way that the church is larger? You know, that almost never happens. Very rarely do you find a church that has been in existence for five generations that is bigger. Almost, without exception, they're smaller. And one of the things that tells us is, somehow, somewhere, there's a failure in the family. Because if all we ever did at Trinity Baptist Church, the only thing you ever did, you never knocked on one door, you never invited one more person to church, and all you did was have a family and reach your children and reach your grandchildren, and all of your kids serve the Lord and love the Lord, and all of your grandkids serve the Lord. Do you know that every generation the church would be larger? There's no doubt we need help in the home. And so here's what Paul says. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Look at verse 17. Because verse 17, he gives some comments about the church. And then in verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, another transition verse. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but she have not so learn Christ. You know what he says right there? You're saved. So don't live like the world lives. That's what he's trying to say. You're a child of God, aren't you? You've been forgiven of your sins, haven't you? You're on your way to heaven, aren't you? So look, the world doesn't know any better. They live the way they... Don't be so hard on the world. We can be in the church, can we? Can you believe those pagans? Sorry, Brother Pagan. Can't use that word here, can I? You believe those heathens? Or as one of my Tennessee friends would say, can you believe those heathens? And, and we look at the world and we, you know, we, we roll our eyes and sigh and oh my word, what a mess the world's in. But you know what Paul is saying here is they don't know any better. They don't know how to have a godly home and a happy marriage and a family. And they don't know. But you haven't learned Christ that way. You know something better. You have a Bible. You have the Spirit of God. You have a church. God wants to help you. And so here's what he says. Because that's true, look what you ought to do. In verse 23, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Make changes in relation to your old man. I call that residue now. Residue, residue. Put off the residue, the old man. You all know what residue is, don't you? Have you ever removed wallpaper? How many of you have ever taken wallpaper down? Have you ever? Aren't you thankful for eternal security? I don't know who invented wallpaper, but after I bought my house and had to take the wallpaper off the kitchen wall, I decided that for the rest of my life, I'm taking a stand against wallpaper. I mean, that's just not of God. I just can't be. What in the world? And you read on YouTube about how easy it is. You know, you soak it and then you scrape it. You buy these little things at Lowe's and you scrape it down and you soak it some more. And then all you do is you start in the corner and it just peels right off. Baloney. How many of y'all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Leaves all this residue. What a mess on that wall. That's how you and I are. How many of you are saved again? Let me see your hand. You on your way to heaven? How many of you got any residue in your life? Boy, don't you? How many of you had a temper before you got saved? You still have one? That's called residue. How many of you were dishonest? Boy, you struggle with honesty. Then you got saved. Still found that was a battle in your life, didn't you? Some of you, men, you smoked like a freight train, got saved and found out the next day you wanted a cigarette. What in the world? Pastor, you quit, didn't you? Just, just joking, guess. Just joking. As far as I know, I'm joking. As far as I know. Now, now think about that. See, here's what Paul says. If you're going to advance and have the home you ought to have, you've got to put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Don't you miss this in Christianity. I told you in Sunday school, you will not walk down an aisle this week and make an altar at the front of a Baptist church and all of your problems be over. But you could walk down an aisle this week and make an altar and ask God Almighty to move into your life and start working on you and growing you and helping you. And you could start putting on the new man 
which after God, verse 24 says, is created in righteousness and true holiness. And what you'll find out is that God could start you on a process today and start leading you in the direction you ought to go so that in the days and weeks and months and years ahead, you can have the home you ought to have. It's a process. My question is, what in the world does a happy Christian home look like anyway? And I want to go back to Ephesians. If you were here in Sunday school, we looked at verses 2 and 3. And now we're going to start in verse 25. And here's what we're going to learn. A happy Christian home is a place, look at the screen, and let's say it together, is a place of what? Honesty. So how you doing? Now, isn't that weird? Paul says in verse 25, here's what he says. In verse 25, wherefore, all right, now how do I get off the old man, let my, my mind be renewed, and how do I put on a new man so that it's created in righteousness and truth? How do I do this? Well, here's where it starts in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Put away lying. That doesn't make sense for crying out loud. This is the greatest church in the New Testament, the church at Ephesus. Paul preached a two-week revival there. Apollos was one of their great speakers. This was a mighty church. This church was so amazing that Paul writes in the book of Acts that everybody in the city of Ephesus heard the gospel because of this church. That's amazing. In fact, Paul said boldly in the, the book of Acts that nobody in Ephesus could go to hell and blame it on that church. Everybody heard the gospel in town because of this church, the church at Ephesus. Paul went on to say that not only did they impact their town, they impacted the entire Asian world because he said everybody in Asia has heard the word of God because of you. That's quite a church. So he writes them a letter. Are you following this? So here's a church that is so powerful, everybody in town has heard the gospel because of this church. And this church is so amazing that the entire world of that day heard the gospel because of this church. They had a two-month revival with Paul himself. Paul stayed two years and taught them how to live the Christian life. This is an amazing church. And the Spirit of God says to Paul, now write them a letter. Okay, Lord. And he writes them and he says, have lowliness and meekness and gentleness and patience. And he writes all this stuff to them. And he says, oh, the Spirit of God says, Paul, tell them to be honest. That's that's like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is a great church and they need to be honest? Wouldn't you expect that to be a given? And I thought, okay, Lord, okay. Now, I'm trying to preach your word and teach through your word. So apparently, one of the issues, that damages our Christian life and damages our homes is dishonesty. And I thought, do I battle with that? I mean, do I, am, I, am I ever dishonest in my home? And I thought, I got to think and I thought, you know, sometimes my wife will say, honey, is everything okay? And I will say, I'm fine. How many of you ever said that? You ever said that? And it's not. And Brother Scott, the, the, the Spirit of God showed me that that's dishonest. Honey, are you okay? I'm fine. But you're not. You just lied. Now, it might be that you say I'm fine because this isn't the time to deal with what's in your heart because you're not ready to deal with it. Well, you can be honest about that. You can say, honey... No, things aren't well, but we can't talk about it right now. But you, you give me some time to pray about it, and we'll talk about it, okay? Somebody asked Ruth, Ruth Graham, that's Billy Graham's wife, in an interview I saw years ago. They asked Billy Graham's wife, they said to Mrs. Graham, Mrs. Graham, did you ever think about divorce? And I sat up and I thought, that's a good question. Did Billy Graham's wife ever think about divorcing Billy Graham? And she stopped. They said, did you ever think about divorce? And she said, good heavens, no. She said murder a couple of times. <laughs> That's pretty funny right there, isn't it? How many of you are married? How many of you are married? Are you married? You ever have problems in your marriage? Are you honest? And I got to thinking, Lord, why would you tell us here that if I'm going to walk worthy of your calling, I'm going to be the Christian I ought to be and, and the, have the family, ought, why would you tell us to be honest? 
and, and then I did some studying and meditating, and here's what I found out. What's the big deal about dishonesty? Number one, it destroys. Dishonesty destroys trust, love, and relationships. It does. It destroys. Our generation, I, I can't think of how many times I've counseled couples that are dishonest with each other. There's a couple that I know of, and she had a friend on Facebook. Old flame. She's dishonest with her husband about this. He didn't know. Dishonesty. There, there's some people you're no longer to have a relationship with. You're now married. That old flame doesn't exist anymore. C- come on, help me here. It's the truth. It's dishonest when I deceive my spouse and I've got a friend on Facebook and that friend's tearing my heart away from my spouse. I'm dishonest. I'm dishonest. I'm deceiving. It deceives. It, it, it deceives me and others. That's why dishonesty is a big deal. It destroys. It, it deceives. And, and look at this. It's the first step towards other sins. Did you know that dishonesty is the first step towards adultery? Because a man never commits adultery till first... He lies. He lies to himself. I deserve this because she lies to herself. I deserve this because he doesn't do right by me. And this guy, this guy is everything I want in a man. Uh, No, he's not. You know why? Because he's a man. And you know, pretty much men are men. They all battle the same issues, the same pride, the same arrogance. And apart from the Spirit of God working in our heart as men, we're all nothing but jerks. Can somebody say amen to that? Thank God for the Spirit of God that can help us to be loving and gentle and gracious and godly. That's true, isn't it? But this is a first step towards adultery. Every time I've dealt with a situation involving adultery, it started with dishonesty. Would there be anybody in a family conference on a Sunday morning in a Baptist church who has this very issue in your heart and you're in trouble because there's dishonesty? It uh, it leads to divorce. It's the first step, dishonesty. I have to deceive myself and you. Dishonesty leads to broken homes. It's the first step. I, I, honestly, I thought, Lord, this, this, am I going to get up in a family conference and teach in Ephesians and, and, and talk about lying? And yes, I am, because the Bible wants you to know and me to know that lying is a terrible sin that will hurt your marriage, hurt your family, hurt your home, hurt your church. Is this good? You okay? We all, we all good so far? The first one is dishonesty. Dishonesty. All right, here, here's, here it is. It's a place of honesty. Now, the second one, the second one's a big one. Look at verses 26 and 27. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Are you ready for the second one? A happy Christian home is a place, you see it, without anger. Our generation tends to have a problem with anger for all kinds of reasons. One is we're pretty selfish. And two, we're very busy. And three, we're easily bothered. Uh, Four, we're pretty defensive of our rights. Isn't road rage something that's pretty dumb? Honestly, come on, isn't it? How many of y'all have a license and drive? You have a license and drive? Has anybody ever cut you off? Isn't it dumb how we respond to that? Who do they think they are? I will ride their bumper. I will show them. Isn't that, honestly, is this okay to say, isn't that stupid? Let them in front of you. So what if they're going to beat you to the next traffic light? Let them. 
Pray for them. Maybe their wife's having a baby. Wouldn't you want to get in front of somebody if your wife was having a baby? You don't know the situation. Anger is killing us. Our public schools are filled with anger. Our Christian schools are filled with anger. Our home schools are full of anger. I counseled a family this very week, a good family, who have a son, they have a son, who has an incredible anger issue. It's really hurting their home. They, got, they can overcome it. There's some steps to take. I know couples that are angry. Phyllis Diller said, why go to bed angry when you can stay up and fight? Now that's good comedy, but that's terrible Christianity. Because here's what the Bible says. Anger leads to sin. You see that in the text? Be angry, the Bible says, and sin not. Be angry and sin not. You're you're not to be an angry husband, an angry wife, an angry mom, an angry dad, an angry son, an angry daughter, because your temper always leads you to sin. How how many of you ever lost your temper and said something you shouldn't have said? And see, here's what, I'm amazed when I preach on anger, how many people will corner me after service and defend their anger. I had a guy in a church probably three months ago, and he said to me after a Sunday morning service, he said, I don't agree with you on anger. He said, because Jesus got angry. You know what I said to him? I said, sir, don't be offended. But you're not Jesus. Now, there's a big difference in me and Jesus. There's a big difference in you and Jesus too, isn't there? He could get angry and not sin. You know what your problem is? You can't. Because you get angry... And everybody knows it because of what you say or do or respond. Daddy, you need to let the Spirit of God change your anger. My grandmother was angry. She is a big woman. She is 6'2", 280. Not heavy. Stout. She could whip any guy in this room. Now, she's in heaven now, but she could, she could take you, sir. She would bend you over her knee and wear your backside out. That's what she'd do. She was, she was a tough woman. I mean, just tough and mean as the devil. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even joking. It's the truth. She carried a pistol, used it. My grandmother went to jail for shooting at her daughter-in-law. You ever, you ever tell mother-in-law jokes? You didn't tell them if she was your mother-in-law. I love mother-in-law jokes. My mother-in-law and I, we tell jokes. We, we share them. They're good. I told my mother-in-law not long ago, I said, Mom, you know, you know what slinkies and mother-in-laws have in common? They're no fun Do you push them down the stairs. <laughs> now, that's really bad. I admit it. That's wrong. And mom and I laughed. We laughed about it. We're good. We're friends. I, I love her. She didn't tell mother-in-law jokes to my grandmother. She'd shoot you. She did go to jail. She went to jail because of her stupid temper. My daddy got that temper. My dad, he did. Saw him get angry one day at a mule. Tried to get it in the back of the truck. Got angry at the mule and punched it between the eyes. Wouldn't go in the truck. So he punched it and it went in the truck. Then he told me to get in the truck. I was buckled in before seatbelts were a law. Now, let me tell you something. Those are funny stories, aren't they? But did you know that if you're angry, nobody's laughing? We can look back and laugh. But anger is a terrible sin. Anger leads to sin. It lingers longer than it should. 
Which is why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. It hangs around and, and it compounds and it gets bigger. And it leaves an open door for the enemy to attack your marriage and your family. Which is why he closes that sentence with a statement, neither give place to the devil. Here's another one. What does a happy Christian home look like anyway? It's a place of honesty. How are you doing with that one? It's a place without anger. You ready for this? It's a place of edification. Look, look at a verse. This, 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 I'm, I'm closing very shortly. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Uh, a, a happy Christian home is a place where we're, we're not tearing down, we're not belittling, we're not negative, we're not harsh, we're not condescending, we're not sarcastic and mean to each other. Rather, we're edifying. We build, we encourage, we strengthen. Uh, how many of you know Proverbs 12, verse 18? Do you? Anybody here know it by memory? Proverbs 12, 18 says, it's the parallel verse to Ephesians 4 that I just read you. Proverbs 12, 18 says, uh, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. But the tongue of the wise is hell. Can you see the two sides of that verse? There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Paul would have said it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But the tongue of the wise is health. Paul would have said, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it ministers grace. Let me illustrate it for you. Anybody here have a good-sized pocket knife on you? I mean, a pretty good size? Anybody here bring me a good-sized pocket knife? Come on, we're in Michigan. Anybody here? You got? Bring it down. Bring it on. Let me have it, sir. That is a good-sized pocket knife. As in Valenia, Michigan... And I asked for a pocket knife, and this teenager come running down the aisle and gave me this tiny little thing. And I said, is that all you got? He said, no, I got this one right here, and this one right here, and I got this one right here, and I got what? He had five knives on him. And I said, I had no idea there's so many rednecks in Michigan, huh? All right, now here's a good-sized knife, a used one, too. Look at that. All right, now, is it sharp? It's not bad, not bad, okay. Now, here's what the Bible says. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. You don't have to put much there till I wins. You don't have to go far there, and there'd be a little blood. Right? You know why a lot of you don't have a happy home? Because of that. Well, I'm just sarcastic. That's my spiritual gift. No. It's called sin. Sarcasm, you understand, is not wrong. It can be like flavor, salt, little, little flavoring. But when sarcasm pour it on, it ruins the meal. Some parents and couples are so negative. My husband, the old woman I married. Kids, you can't do nothing right. You are so stupid. That is so dumb. There it is. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. I had a dad come to me in a conference recently. He said, Brother, I want to talk to you. Sure. We stood at the front of an auditorium. And he told me what a good parent he was. Raised my kids for the Lord, raised them in church, and I've got a son that's in jail. He's a rebel. Won't have anything to do with God, won't do what's right. He's just, I don't, he says, it's not my fault. I didn't fail. He said, we had, we raised him in church and we raised him right. And he just defended himself hugely. I don't know this brother. So I thought, wow, any child can grow up and make decisions on their own and really blow it. I had pretty good parents and I've made some real dumb decisions in my adulthood. Haven't you? So I prayed for him. I prayed for his son. My heart went out to him. The next day I preached. And his wife asked to speak to me. She was doubting her salvation. And she was talking to me about whether or not she was saved. 
He was on the other side of the lobby and saw her talking to me very seriously and made a wrong assumption. He thought she was talking to me about him. And he made a beeline and interrupted us. And he said, I don't know what she's telling you, Brother Young, but I'm telling you right now, she's lying to you. He said, because this woman, the problem in our home is this woman right here. He said, she's a, and I just, I mean, lit into her. His eyes were, I mean, shooting daggers and, and his words were spilling out. And, and she stopped and listened and said, well, you know, it's kind of true, I guess. I stood in the lobby of the church, and here's what I knew. Here's a dad that wanted me to think Saturday that his home was just an amazing home. On Sunday, I stood in the lobby and recognized that he's an angry man. And on top of that, he's rude. And on top of that, he's a jerk. And on top of that, he's not walking in the Spirit. His wife's over here trying to get help about whether or not she's saved, And he ridiculed her in front of me. He belittled her in front of me. And wants me to think that his son, I don't know why my son did wrong. Now, maybe that was a once in a lifetime thing. But I will tell you, if that situation in the lobby was indicative of the home that they've had over the last 25 years, doesn't startle me a bit that his son's in trouble tonight. Not a bit. Because I'm telling you what the Bible is trying to show us in Proverbs is that if my tongue is always belittling and tearing down and damaging and hurting, then my home's in trouble. This is basic Christianity, isn't it? Have you read James, how James says it? That James makes a statement that's really interesting. James says, if, all right, you know the word if? If, conditional. If any man among you seem to be religious. Now, this is a, this is a, This is a great verse. If any man seems to be religious. Now, this is is odd, weird, but I want you to do it. Okay, nobody here but us. So I want you to stop looking at me. And I want you to look at each other. Okay? So just look around. Look behind you. Look across the aisle. Everybody, now do it. Everybody. Everybody, look around, look around, look around, look around. And then smile at me. Okay, smile at me because I want to ask you a question. All right? Now answer the question. Don't we seem to be religious? Okay, you didn't answer. So, look at each other. Let's do it again. Look at each other. If you want to go to lunch, you better help me out. We'll be here all day. Look at each other. Look around. Get a good look. And I want to ask you a question. Don't we seem to be religious? Yeah. I mean, look at us. We got King James Bibles. Come on. We look religious, don't we? And we got, a lot of you got ties on. Come on. Man, we're in church on a Sunday morning. In a, and not just any church. We're in a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, Baptist church. Can you be more religious? Come on. Now listen to what Paul said. Listen to what Paul said. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, his religion is vain. You know what the Bible says? My tongue can undermine everything I believe. My harshness, my frustration, my anger, my annoyances. I'm, I'm going to skip to a screen. My sarcasm, harshness, belittling, negativity, rather than praise, gratitude, respect, gentleness. Which side of this equation do you live on? Would you be more apt to be sarcastic and harsh and belittling and negative? Or could you honestly say, no, when it comes to my tongue, it's full of praise and gratitude and respect and gentleness. One is empty. Will destroy everything you come to church and say you believe. You know why sometimes a family can go to church every service and have every standard and carry a King James Bible and look man like an amazing family 
and fall apart in the years to come? This may be a glimpse. Because the Bible says, if I look religious, but my tongue is out of line, my religion has no value at all. Now, I just want you to know, that's brutal. You know why it's brutal? Because I need help. I do. Life's so busy, we're so harsh, we get so irritated so easily. And I don't want my religion to be vain. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I believe God is real. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that He was born of a virgin, that He suffered on a cross for my sins and the sins of the whole world, and that He was buried, that He was raised, so that I believe, I believe, I believe, my religion is real and true. I believe. And I don't want my tongue to unravel everything that I believe. But James says it can. So, if all you did in the first morning service was examine your honesty, your anger, your tongue, how would it be at your house? If that's all you examine, that, those three things. Because a happy Christian home is a place of honesty and a place without anger and a place of edification. Let me close. I want to tell you that it's also a place of Bible salvation. Do you know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in a Sunday morning service at Trinity Baptist Church, one of the things you need to know is whether or not you're going to heaven. Whether you're single or married, divorced, a son, a daughter, no matter what your station is, You're seated in a Baptist church this morning and one of the things God wants you to know for sure before you leave this building is that you're his child on your way to heaven, that you're a Bible Christian, born again the Bible way, saved, a child of God. And and these two verses are amazing. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Five things that those two verses teach us. Going to heaven, being a Christian, is by grace, it is through faith, it is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, it is not of works. How many of you believe that it's by grace? Grace is everything God does for us in order that we might be saved. I can't get to heaven on my own. I don't know God. I don't know how to be right with God. But God loves me. God cares about me. God knows me. God understands me. God wants me to have a restored relationship with him that was lost because of sin. And God made a way for that to happen. The way is a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is not just a good man that lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the God-man who came to this world for one reason. And the Bible says it was to die for your sins that you might have everlasting life and be forgiven, be a child of God on your way to heaven. That's called grace. It's saying God loves you. God knows all about you and He cares. And God knows you got sin in your life and you can't go to heaven because of it, but He wants to take away your sin and give you everlasting life. That's God's plan for you to come into your life so you can know Him and have a relationship with Him and He can be real in your life. He's the living God of the universe and He offers to do that for you. That's called grace. It's unmerited favor. It's God giving to me something I can't earn. Something that I don't merit. Something that I can't have on my own. How do I get it? Well, what the Bible says is it's through faith. The word faith means I believe, I depend, I I rely on. And here's the idea. I'm a sinner, so I can't get to heaven on my own. But Jesus died for my sins, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. Jesus did that. When he died on a cross for my sins 2,000 years ago, he made a way for my sins to be forgiven. 
And when he was raised from the dead three days later, one of the most amazing recorded facts of history, when he was raised from the dead three days later, he made a way for a sinner like me to have eternal life. So through Jesus, I can be forgiven of all of my sins. And through Jesus, I can have eternal life. That's the death of Jesus Christ. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all I've got to do is believe. I've got to depend on Jesus Christ. I've got to say, God, I can't, but Jesus can. I I need a Savior, and Jesus is a Savior. So I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm depending on Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm turning to Jesus. That's what faith is all about. So it's by grace. It's through faith. It's not of yourself. In other words, you can't do it. See, when I go to church, okay, but that won't get you to heaven because it's not something you do. Yes, but I'm a good dad. You can be a good dad and not even know God. Yes, but I'm trying to be a good husband and wife and mom. I'm trying. But it's not something you do. If you're talking about going to heaven, if you're talking about going to heaven, it's by grace, it's through faith. It's not something you do. In fact, it's the gift of God. In other words, here's what God does. He says, I love you and I offer you eternal life, and it's free. It's free because my son Jesus paid for it. He did it all. He did it all. He did it all. It's free. It's a gift. You you look to Jesus. You turn to Jesus. You trust in Jesus, and Almighty God will take away your sins and give to you everlasting life, spiritual life. It's not what you do, it's what he did. And here's the last thing he wants you to know. It's not of works. How many of you agree that going to church is a good work? How many of you agree with that? But it won't get you to heaven. Well, getting baptized, will that's a good work. But it won't get you to heaven. You ought to be a good dad. You ought to be a good mom. Those are good works. But they won't get you to heaven because to go to heaven, you have to be born again. To go to heaven, you have to have a spiritual birthday. To go to heaven, there has to be an awareness in your life. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I need Jesus in my life. And you turn to Jesus. You trust Jesus. You receive Jesus. You believe in Jesus. And through Jesus Christ, God the Father will take away all of your sins and give to you everlasting life. That is a glorious truth. You're important to God. 